0: I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Spandrew Spice. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty gritty so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is The Prisoner. What was The Prisoner? Well, it was a British spy television show from 1967 that was created by and starred Patrick McGowan. It followed a nameless protagonist, often referred to by just the number six as he was imprisoned in a seemingly small European village. The show, running a total of 17 episodes, has since gone on to become one of the most iconic and beloved TV programs ever to come out of the United Kingdom. Well, it's achieved that level of esteem after the viewing public calmed down after the highly controversial ending of the show, which caused McGowan to dodge death threats and go into literal hiding. Act one, the McGowan principle, personal metaphor, individual freedom and resignation as the ultimate insult. Born in New York on March 19, 1928, Patrick Joseph McGowan was an actor who brought intensity and conviction to every performance delivered to Irish immigrant parents he was quickly taken back to his homeland and then later England. Like many people of their generation, his parents were constantly on the move in search of economic opportunity. A bright child, he excelled in academics. However, at the age of 16, he quit school and moved to Sheffield, where his parents were living in order to work a series of odd jobs. However, the young man had greater ambitions for himself. He wanted to be a performer. In 1955, he was cast in a West End production of A Serious Charge a Philip King stage play about a vicar who is accused of being homosexual. This would be the production that allowed McGowan to wedge his foot solidly in the door of the British theater world. This was largely due to the fact that Orson Welles, yes, that Orson Welles, saw him in the production and immediately cast McGowan as Starbuck in Moby Dick Rehearsed. From here, McGowan would serve in numerous theater and television productions. However, it would be the 1960 television program, Danger Man, or Secret Agent, as it was broadcast in the States that put McGowan onto a global stage. The show followed a spy named John Drake through globetrotting adventures, spy swaps, and foreign magistrate extractions. The show's grounded reality and black and white brutalist approach to narrative seemed to be a direct link to the actor's personality and burgeoning persona. Rarely have a subject and vessel been so well-suited for one another. Created by Ralph Smart and initially co-developed with James Bond author Ian Fleming, Danger Man ran for four series with a total of 86 episodes. The initial 39 episodes were 24 minute black and white stories featuring Drake as he works in connection with a Washington, D.C. based intelligence organization on behalf of NATO. He's sent all over the globe and typically gets into scrapes with beautiful women and idiosyncratic British actors with equal frequency. After a cancellation and a two year hiatus, Danger Man was resurrected in order to capitalize off the success of the Avengers and James Bond, a part that at one point was actually offered to McGowan. A devout Catholic, he turned down the role of 007 due to his belief that the character was too promiscuous. Believe it or not, McGowan would turn down the role of Bond a second time after George Lazenby and Sean Connery walked away from it. That's right. McGowan was offered live and let die, but passed again for the same reason.
1: Listen, I love everything about this character. I love the the espionage, I love the intrigue, I love the guns, I love the cars, I love the gadgets. I love the the suave debonair, but he
0: fucks too much. I mean, you say that as a joke, but like literally. Literally like we're going to get into it in a second, but that's that was like yes, literally. He he was just like I I there's too much. No more smooching. Can we get less smooching, please?
1: James Bond fucks. In parentheses, I'm saying that in a negative way.
0: He's like, I've, I've got a wife. I'm smooched up. I don't need to be smooching other randos. Thank you very much. And then he walks out of the office a little like little pep in his step. Yeah,
1: he could have he could have been like uh, like Kirk Cameron. And anytime in a movie where he's supposed to kiss or do anything with a woman, they have his actual wife come in and serve as a body double for the actress. And then they just shoot her in silhouette.
0: I had no idea that that's what they do, but I kind of loved it. Yeah,
1: that's that's what that's what he does in movies. If he ever has to kiss a woman,
0: they he like refuses to kiss. It must be a living hell being that guy. It must be really hard being him. Yeah, I'm sure it is. As if that wasn't enough ships in the night for one actor to deal with. During this period, Magoon was also offered the role of Simon Templar, the saint. The show that put Roger Moore on the map and gave him entree into the world of Eon Productions' most famous spy, McGowan also passed on this. There's another, there's an, you know, there's another thing that that strikes me about this, which is like, and we're not
1: even, we, we haven't even gotten into The Prisoner yet, uh, which is, as we'll get to, sort of like the ultimate realization of what I'm talking about, which is just like wildly creative and unique works of idiosyncrasy um as pop art um but just the the idea that like during this time period like during this pipe di- di- this time period of like the spy craze whenever everyone got got obsessed with spies and espionage or like when people got obsessed with ninjas and they made all those weird like straight to video ninja movies like the canon stuff ninja 3 the domination yes the the uh, the idea that during these periods of these like massive crazes in different things That, you know, we got, we got out of that. We got things as like sort of interesting and unique and idiosyncratic as a show like the Avengers. Uh, And ironically, what I'm about to say, I didn't even realize the parallel, but a show like the Avengers or what will ultimately become the prisoner. Whereas like now, whenever there is like a craze like that, or like something where something wriggles into the zeitgeist and it becomes this massively popular trend It just gets like sandblasted down to like the smoothest, least unique version of what that thing is. You know, superhero things, superheroes get popular. And then now we live in this weird fucking like plastic corporate superhero culture where everything is just like they just make the same movie over and over again with just a different person in the, you know,
0: playing the character or whatever. We've just we've been robbed of so much. You know what he didn't pass on though? A second Danger Man series. McGowan had some demands for his return though, a pay raise, more character growth for John Drake, and no kissing. The financier of Danger Man, Lou Grade, a former dancer turned financier and talent agent, was happy to meet McGowan's requests, as long as the cameras kept rolling and the money kept flowing. Series two of Danger Man was produced with a running time of 49 minutes and 45 episodes in total were created. Uh Spandrew, have you have you ever seen Secret Agent or uh, Secret Agent Man or Danger Man as it was originally broadcast? Have you seen any of these shows?
1: Despite joking in, around earlier, uh you got you got to respect it. Like, you know, you could you could call him a prude, but, you know, he had he had a preference. Maybe he just didn't like touching. Like I, I, I can relate to that. I, I can relate to not wanting people to touch me all the time. So maybe he just wasn't in, wasn't into people getting into his personal space. And honestly, the thing, you know, the thing with Kirk Cameron, like that's probably that's the least problematic thing he does. Like the fact that he just wanted to stay true to his wife and not. I feel I feel bad about making fun of that because like that's not that bad. He, it, it, it's weird but if he didn't want to kiss other women besides his, besides his wife like that's that's the least weird thing he's done there's way worse things that Kirk, Kirk Cameron is guilty
0: of all that being said no oh you've never you've never no, seen it no yeah man? Never, i've never seen it it's fucking great uh the first series the black and white series specifically is my favorite yeah let's watch let's watch the intro sequence to to danger man cuz it's fucking great this will also be a running theme but the the character of John Drake is just Patrick McGowan and I don't give a fuck because I love Patrick McGowan so much that when he's on screen just being grumpy I get instantly happy. He's so he's just got such an intense energy, such a personal charisma, such a watchable face and when he frowns, my frown goes upside down, baby. <laughs>
1: has its secret service branch. America, CIA, France, Desi Bureau, England, MI5. A messy job? Well, that's when they usually call on me or someone like me.
0: Oh, yes. My name is Drake. John Drake. So good. Okay, so that little voiceover is John Drake running out of a governmental building, getting into a convertible car, sports car looking over his shoulder and then driving away from us. Remember that because that is going to be thematically linked to the opening of The Prisoner. um, Which we'll get to in a minute when we start talking about The Prisoner. But now we're just seeing these really classy black and white photos of uh, you know uh, governmental style buildings uh, with a uh, very clean sans serif font over them, you know, listing the editor and the, you know, stars of the week or whatever with that swinging 60s jazz and I fucking love it. Yeah, dude. Yeah, dude, Patrick McGuin as It's a really
1: cool graphic design element where the logo kind of like spins into place like
0: tumblers on a lock or something and the the footage is reversed so it's negative uh imagery of like his suit is white and the background is black and his skin is like all that you know that weird inverted texture yeah this is the later stuff this is the live action stuff that we or the full color stuff that we um we'll talk about in a second that that name right there the story editor george um markstein he he's going to show up later as well he's a pivotal figure in the in the history of the prisoner as well. In 1968, another reboot of the franchise, still starring McGowan was attempted, this time in color. Only two episodes of this series were filmed though, largely because McGowan had had enough. He was tired of being John Drake. He was tired of the gritty realism that the show strove for. And he was tired of the fact that the show didn't appear to be pushing into anything deeper or more complex, just an endless vista of prisoner swaps, code breaker jail breaks, and espionage double crosses. Plus, I was in my dressing room the other
1: day, and a woman came in, and she asked me to give her a little kiss. I'm done.
0: I'm finished. Magoon went to Lou Grade and informed him that he was quitting. He was resigning. Grade, eager to make Maguin happy, inquired if there was a way for them to continue working together. Was there a project that Maguin was itching to make? And Magoon informed him, yes. He had an idea. That idea was the prisoner. Andrew, I hear you. Uh, you have something you want to read out in this middle of the show plug section.
1: Well, that that wasn't quite the segue I was gonna set up, but sure, let's just jump right into it. I was gonna I was gonna do like a prison related pun, but I guess, guess you can't have them all.
0: It's too late. We're in it now, baby. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do it.
1: So, uh, as promised, recently the members of the Discord hit over five hundred in the counting game which all of you care about and know what I'm talking about that aren't in the Discord and you have any idea what I'm even saying. uh, Basically, we have this game that we play in the the Deep Cuts Discord and I have a running agreement with everybody that every time they hit a new milestone of a certain number that I will call out everybody who participated in that run on the show and we recently got to over 500 and so I'm just going to go through and list those names off. Um, and, of, and of course, once again, these are the uh, the Discord handles of the people involved, uh, not their real names. So we've got Juniper. We've got our buddy Michael Lindquist, which I'm pretty sure was part of a violent conspiracy theory mob that destroyed the Mystery Treehouse at one point. And yet now he's just in the Discord hanging out. It's weird. Uh, we got Jay Bard, who is, of course, the creator of the Deep Cuts Discord, friend of the show, writer of... The uh, Mister Rogers episode that is one of my favorites. Uh, very good. You should check it out. Um, we've got we've got MC Paul Jims. We've got Ella with a exclamation point at the end. We've got Diet Beepus. We've got Andrew Bub, which I I mentioned this last time I did this, but I I I did it without Dave around. But um, there's there's uh. Uh, one of the listeners in the Deep Codes Discord, his name is Andrew Bub. And I've always just assumed that his name was just like Andrew Bub. Like, I mean, I didn't think that was his real name, but I thought that it was just like, that was his, his handle was just Andrew Bub. Like that was like Bub is like part of the name or it's his last name or something. And I, I realized the first time I did this, the first time I read these names off, um, that there's a comma after Andrew and it's supposed to be like Wolverine saying his name. It's supposed to be like Andrew Bub. I didn't realize that until I read it out loud the first time. Uh, We got Lawful Neutral Lewis. We got Crash Underride. We got the murderous psychopath Mike Miller, who once again is just somebody who's tried to kill us before and is just hanging out in the Discord, casually playing a number counting game. Uh, We got Metroid Fan 808. Um, we got the Duke of Warsaw, a.k.a. Lewis Paggi, who is the writer of the uh, the uh, SCP episodes and an upcoming episode as well. We got regular Lewis. We got the Souser effect. Not good. Professor Backwood. And last but not least, uh, the person who both was the last person that participated in this 500 count run, but also the person that ended it by getting the number wrong and starting it over. Their name was Swag Dave. And whenever they ruined the game, I said, I regret to inform you that you have been removed of the rank and responsibilities of Swag Dave. You are now just Dave. And then they changed their name to just Dave. And then now they've changed their name to Yeah Nah. So they've just, they've completely shed the mantle of Dave entirely at this point, just in su- in such shame at having ended this 500 count run. Um, but yeah, that's that's everybody who, who participated in it. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's get to 600 so I can do this again.
0: Uh, is there anything you want to talk about, Dave? Um, yeah, please come see me. I'm going to be at some comic book conventions. I'm going to be at Small Press Expo in Bethesda, Maryland, September, the weekend of September 8th and 9th or 9th and 10th, whatever that weekend is. Uh, I'm going to be in Columbus, Ohio for Cartoonist Crossroads Columbus, September 28, 29, 30th. Also, please pre-order my book, Mary Tyler Moorhawk. It's up for pre-order right now. Amazon, Golden Apple, uh, Target. You can get that shit at Target.com, which is fucking
1: crazy to me. Like, you know how whatever Pride Month happened and Target had the controversy where they had the Pride stuff and then people were going to the Target and they were going in and filming and, like, ripping it off the shelves and throwing it down and being like, this is what they want our kids to have. I'm going to do that but with your book. I'll take it, man. We can use the press. Uh, I hope it becomes a scandal. I'm gonna be. Th- I'm gonna. I'm gonna write a rap song about how. About how you're
0: indoctrinating children to love. Uh, fucking cute robots and girl detectives. Yeah, yeah. I I encourage I encourage everyone to pre-order the book and then film themselves burning it and then go out and buy another book. That's that's what I encourage. Uh, please, please buy two books, even if one of them is burned um that would be cool i would like to sell everyone to maybe three books oh my god do you guys want to buy five books that's fine all joking aside i mean i don't really care about going and buying
1: like a fucking rainbow sweater or whatever like that's not something that i was like in the market for if there was like a huge hate campaign against a comic and there was a bunch of like right-wing conspiracy theorists crazy people going in and burning a comic book that was on sale at target I would absolutely go buy it. Like, that would be the best commercial for me of all time.
0: Yeah, Mary Tyler Moorhawk. It's available now for pre-order. Comes out February 13, 2024. Please go pick it up. Thank you.
1: Fight the real enemy.
0: Act 2, Be Seeing You. Set in an idyllic yet strangely surreal seaside town, the show follows a nameless spy, often referred to simply as Number 6, as he quits his job, attempts to flee England, and then wakes up in... The Village, a retirement community for members of the intelligence trade who are too valuable to release into the wild, but have moved past their peak years of usefulness to the various global superpowers at war for control of the planet. The show's surreal visuals whip-fast editing, and McGowan's ferocious acting propelled it into being a smash hit, both in the US and in the UK. It also doesn't hurt that the show didn't look like anything else that was being produced at the time. Large, bouncing rubber balls patrol the village as ghostly, apparitional jailers, residents wearing rainbow-colored capes, and the village itself filmed in a small Welsh town named Port Marion that doesn't look like anywhere else on Earth. The show deals with themes of alienation, the myth of free will, and the ever-present mirage of self-determination. The opening of every one of the 17 produced episodes is exactly the same. We follow number six, driving a yellow and green S2 Lotus 7 Roadster as he furiously speeds through greater London, storming into a nondescript office and delivering a fiery letter of resignation. And therein lies the ultimate MacGuffin of the show, the why that everyone is after. Why did number six resign? The actual act of resignation is moot. He's a prisoner of the village. However, the reasoning, the motivation, and the emotion behind the resignation, that's the real gold. Spandrew, when did you first come in contact with the prisoner?
1: I've I, I, I mentioned this on the show before, but there was a period um, back in like the 2010s where whenever like Netflix was first becoming popular and by Netflix I mean the DVD mail delivery service where you could rent up to three movies at a time and they would get delivered to you um, and I just I just kind of like went wild with it where I was like I was like watching like directors entire catalogs in like alphabetical order. I was just like, I'm just going to watch all of Shinya Tsukamoto's movies that are on Netflix or that, you know, that that are offered on Netflix. And I was just doing that. And then I was like going through and just watching a bunch of old stuff, like anything that I could find on there. And I'm pretty sure that I at some point rented in addition to a bunch of, I was watching a bunch of of movies and TV shows from the 1960s. Um and at some point in there I got this and watched it. Um and I relative, I real I relatively recently rewatched it cuz it was on Tubi and my my family was out of town. They, the earlier this year they my 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 wife and my kids went out of town. And I watched The Prisoner and also um, this movie from the 80s that I'm blanking on the name right now, but I recommended it to you. But it was it had Anthony Edwards in it and it was about uh, nuclear war coming to Los Angeles. Um, But, yeah, I I, I rewatched it then. And it it was even better. It was it was better like rewatching it now. Like it, it held up so well and it was like better than my memory of watching it back in like 2010 or 20 2009 or whatever it was
0: yeah the prisoner is my favorite tv show uh it it's i love it uh mcguin obviously i don't i don't think it's a hop skip and a jump he's one of my favorite actors and i love everything that he brings to this role and i love the fact that this whole show is just a fuck you to like the, the constraints of society that forces us to do things that we don't want to do, um, which I'm sure is a very male thing, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, we, we're all products of our environment, right? Uh, but I love the show. I love how surreal it is. I love the design. I love the editing. I love uh, the writing style of the show. Um, yeah, it it's like my favorite thing. I love the theme song by Good Charlotte Don't Wanna Be
1: Yo! do want to wanna be just like you. I am the prisoner. Throw all my hands up. You. It gets me. It gets me hyped at the beginning of each episode. Every single time. I don't skip the intro on that
0: one. I do love the theme song. Uh, I'm thankful that it is not Good Charlotte, but I do love the theme song. What if it was, though? What if you just like went back
1: and watched it and that was the theme song? And you're like, did they did they add
0: this? Did, did they change this or was it always like this? Somebody, uh, you know, the the Lou Grade estate has decided they're going to George Lucas it and add that as the new intro To every show and they're they're not going to release the original song. Yeah.
1: And that's like it's the same George Lucas thing where they're like, this is what it always was intended to be. And now that we have modern technology and those beautiful uh, uh, Benji and whatever the fuck the other one's name is brothers. uh, Now we can finally give you the prisoner as it's meant to be seen. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Benji and Joel. Joel. Yes. Yes. It's Joel. Benji and Joel Madden. Why do I know this? I don't know. I love The Prisoner, and I uh, I'm obsessed with The Prisoner. Um, the Prisoner is a primary influence on my favorite comic book of all time, uh, Casanova. Uh, I uh, I yeah, I just love it so much. And in fact, I love The Prisoner so much. I thought your favorite comic
1: book was the. Stained Z2 comic adaptation. No, tragically not. The gra- the stained graphic novel.
0: Nope, can't say can't say that that's, that's not your favorite
1: comic. It's been a while. The stained graphic novel.
0: <laughs> it's been a while. By Z2 comics the stained graphic novel by Z2. Yeah. Who who knows? Who knows? Maybe maybe that would be great if I read it, but I can't say I've enjoyed that. That's why, because you haven't read it yet. It's true. I just need to get those those chin piercings like the lead singer of uh lead singer of stained those like weird, they're like talons soul patch. Like a soul patch made of metal talons. Well that's disturbed, but Oh, that's disturbed. Fuck. I don't I don't know those bands of parts. Sorry. On its surface, the structure of the show seems like it would be a boring and relatively difficult way to structure a dramatic program. Number six, an imperious and never changing, keenly guarded man will engage in a battle of wits with someone whose only objective is to understand the un-understandable. Number six, like many spies from Cold War era media, is as much a cipher as he is a man. He's an unchanging mystery. He's self-defined, self-assured, and rarely lets the audience see any semblance of interiority. In spite of him constantly proclaiming his free will and non-numberhood, number six has a motivation that is almost entirely theoretical. What does he want? Escape from the village. Why? Because he wants his freedom. What is he going to do with that? Who knows? He wants it because he's deprived of it. He desires freedom because it's a blank canvas. Number six is never developed or evolved in any traditional sense. Every episode, he has the same motivation to escape the village, to be a free man. And yet the character has a concrete set of characteristics, behaviors, and vocal ticks. Magoen even gives him definitive body language and a halting staccato vocabulary of turns, punches, and eyebrow raises. The show has a language all its own. It's surreal, impressionistic, and metaphorical. Tell me
1: this, that because I, I, I don't I didn't know any of the, the backstory of this, of the show, like the behind-the-scenes story or production of it. Because admittedly, the reason why I never saw Secret Agent Man um or whatever the US title was, yeah, Danger Man is because I, I think I mentioned this on the show before, but I, I'm really not into spy stuff. like that's just never been an interest of mine. Like you're, you're really into like James Bond and Mission Impossible and a, and a bunch of like 60 spy stuff. and I I've just never had an affinity for that. There are certain standouts of things that I like just for like specific reasons. like I like the Avengers show, but I don't think it's because it's about spies. I think there's something else about it that I liked. Um, so I never watched that show. I'm just really not into seeking out like spy stuff, but I am into locked door mystery thrillers with like weird science fiction esque backdrops. So this show appealed to me in that way. Um, but I didn't, I didn't like look too, I, I don't know too much about Patrick McGowan or the making of this show or whatever, but that being said. Uh, and and I say this w- w- I say this with keeping in mind that I I really like the show I think that it's I think that it's very unique and um, as I was kind of saying before it's just it's just this it's just this like um, undefinable creative work of idiosyncrasy but that being said it is a strange almost like stagnant format for a show as you were kind of just saying now. Understanding the backstory of that, that basically this show was just born out of Patrick McGowan basically being like, the only way I'll work with you again if you just is if you just let me make whatever show I want. And you just kind of like this thing just kind of sprung out of his mind. Do you almost regard this as like somewhat of an outsider art project? Because he was an actor that's just sort of had this like weird brainchild of like, I just want to do what I want to do. I've never really like created a tv show before but i just want to make this and this is the only way i'll work with you again is if you just let me make just give me money to make whatever i want
0: sort of i don't know if i'd phrase it as outsider art i'd say it more kind of like do you know the term the sports term heat check
1: we talked about the heat check on the baywatch nights episode which to be fair, was three million years ago. And then we went on a very long hiatus.
0: Yeah. So I feel like this is a heat check. Like this is McGowan. At this point, he's the highest paid actor in England. Like he's he can do whatever the fuck he wants. He doesn't need to do this. But the allure of money, the imprisonment of commitment, you know, social obligation. He has responsibilities in his real life. He has a daughter, a wife. Uh, It keeps him there, right? And I think that this is him simultaneously asking to be let go. Like, he he was like, yeah, I'll do it. But also, I don't think this is ever going to really happen. And then when it does happen, he's just so all consumed with the idea of freedom and... Creating something that is a hundred percent his vision—that, uh as we'll see, it sort of bites him in the ass. But also, that biting you in the ass in that moment is what makes me love it fifty years later. You know what I mean? The bite in your ass is the smack on mine. I'm just trying to get Patrick McGoun to eat my ass. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that I would say it's an outsider thing because it's not like he doesn't know what he's doing. All of these are very delineated decisions.
1: Yeah, of course you pick up. You pick up writing skills and directing skills from just being on set, especially when you do it for years.
0: Especially because the show gets more surreal as it goes on. Like, there's so many aspects of the show that are, like a, like the, the episode Free-for-All, which is about staging of an election. Um, like, that's not something that's just, like, let's string together some kooky visuals and like make a metaphorical point. Like it's, it's very expertly delineated and manipulative in the best way. Um, it's yeah, I I think the show is a masterpiece. Uh, and I don't use that word lightly. Yeah.
1: I, uh, recently, and you've seen this, but I, I made, um, I made a video on TikTok that went kind of viral, uh, got like a couple million views or something like that. And I was basically talking about Colombo, or I was, I was talking about um, television in the 1960s and how it was almost like, basically the way I was framing it was that we talk about how we entered the golden age of television in 2010, where like TV became on the level of movies in terms of production and storytelling and um, just, uh, just the general approach to the format. And I was kind of talking about the fact that that same thing happened in the 1960s where you had shows like Columbo, where every episode of Columbo was like this auteur filmmaker's like own masterpiece. Like every episode of that show It feels not only like it's a movie, but it feels like it's like the singular vision of that one director, like, you know, Steven Spielberg or, uh, you know, all the other directors that worked on that show. And this video went went kind of big and a lot of people mentioned The Prisoner in the comments of, of that video and talked about how the prisoner was like that as well, where it's like, there's just nothing like it now. Like there was, there would just never be anything like this on TV ever again. There's weird stuff that comes out on TV and I'm not trying to sound like a nostalgist or like an old head or whatever, but everything is sort of slotted into some kind of format of like, you know, is it this type of thing or is it this type of thing or can it be spun out into a cinematic universe or, you know, is it something that we're going to release In you know, all 10 episodes at once and you know design it algorithmically to be bingeable or whatever. Whereas like this show is just it's like this specific thing that could never be recaptured again. It's
0: like lightning in a bottle. Yeah, I think the specifics too of the fact that like you know it's a heat check for McGuin, but also it's a stealth pitch. He's pitching a show about it's really smart. He's pitching a show about a spy to the guy who wants a show about a spy but the show itself has nothing to do with being a spy like it's a I mean sure on a surface level it does but it's a it's an existential meditation on what it means to be indebted you know it's a it's a, it's a treatise on what it's like to suffer as a human who can't just do whatever you want because that's not realistic that's not the world the village follows you wherever you are the village as a metaphor is much bigger bigger than oh they put some spies there it's a you know it's a spiritual thing really and it's a state of mind you know being in the village or attempting to flee you never get out of the village but you have to try to escape and those are the the two modes of being and i love that, I love that. Um, yeah, it's it's fantastic. This approach to narrative flows over into how McGowan and writers like George Markstein and Terence Feely approach number six's continuing characterization. The titular prisoner is like the Buddha. He's an aspirational figure, someone of superhuman intellect and willpower. He's an exemplar for the audience. If we were in his shoes, we would have resigned ourselves to the fate of living out the rest of our lives as villagers, but not him, he's above that. His true ability is his conviction. As successive number twos attempt to sway number six with every known vice—women, power, money, safety—they all fail. You name it, and number six overcomes it. This is something you know. Recently, I I rewatched the whole series um, when I was in England, uh, and I don't think when I watched it the first time, I really internalized how how much of a tabula rasa the prisoner is. Like in my memory, it's like, oh, yeah, he has a backstory and he has like personality quirks and like, you know, things about him and he really doesn't. And that's kind of why he's so great, because the as I wrote about earlier, you know, the prisoners quirks are Magoon's physical body language. It's Magoon's ego. It's Magoon's lack of um, lack of humility (laughs) in certain instances which would normally, you would probably want to impugn someone for their rampant, you know, egotistical behavior. But in this instance, that, that like, you know, wall of ego is the only thing protecting individuality from, you know, mass assimilation, which is, again, such a fucking cool, weird metaphor, you know? Like, I, I just really, I love, and I don't know that I agree with all of Magoon's <laughs> Metaphors. And I don't know if I agree with all of his political statements because he's, he's definitely said stuff that is in the show 100% about, like, the advancement of technology is evil. Humanity needs to be more separated. You know, once we become more hum- homogenous and globalized, it's a bad thing. And those are themes that are just in the show, period. I don't know that I agree with all of those, but I love that this guy is making that through this show, and it is – completely undiluted his vision.
1: Yeah, plus you love getting smooches.
0: Oh yeah, totally, 100%, oh yeah. Even in his dreams, like in episode A, B and C, number six outsmarts number two. Despite being regularly drugged, brainwashed and tortured, the character is rarely out of control. Does he always come out on top? No, the village is ever present and virtually omniscient and it has a cruel sense of humor as showcased in the episode, Many Happy Returns where they let him escape, flee back to England, and organize a search party to go back to the village and free everyone, only to be double-crossed and marooned there, with the ultimate twist that the whole 25-day sojourn was the new number two's birthday present to number six a cruel twist of the knife as a means of saying happy birthday? I think that's my favorite episode. Is that is that your favorite? I was just gonna say I don't know what your favorite episode is,
1: but this is always a strong contender. Is that your favorite? Yeah, I think I think that's my favorite episode. I I loved that, and it's like, and I think that's the thing that I that like changed from like when I first watched it, or I, and when I when I rewatched it, I didn't have a lot of memory of like the the show. Like I, I kind of forgot a lot about it, but when I rewatched it. There's like parts of it that are genuinely funny, like that I was laughing. I was laughing out loud at, which I don't I didn't remember that from the first time I watched it. And this this episode is funny.
0: Yeah, when they get especially because the episode feels so different than the rest of the show, like they go on. They use sets. They don't just shoot at Port Marion. You know, they uh, they have him like jumping onto a boat, fighting pirates, stealing boats, going to England. being in england he's free he has escaped he's dealing with like english gi dudes being like this is where it is this is where the fucking village is i know i was there god damn it we gotta go back and he convinces them to go back and then that's the the twist is that they know he was gonna do this and they fuck him is so fucking good it just even when, even though I know what's happening, I've seen that episode, I don't even know how many times, but I've seen it so many times. Every time number the new number two, the woman number two walks in and says many happy returns holding that cake, I, it just, your stomach just drops. It's just so brutal.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's my, I think that was my favorite episode of the show for sure we're about to we're about to
0: talk about my favorite episode. So,
1: I think that was also like the first episode where I like it clicked to me like what the show was cuz it cuz it cuz what that's like that's like what is that episode 3 or 4 or something like, like, like that? It's like 5 maybe, 5 or 6 maybe. Yeah. I was into the show prior to that, but I but I think I, you know, and and once again, I think this is maybe like the brain trained on like uh, you know, Damon Lindelof plots or whatever where you're just like expecting it to be like this thing that unfolds into this thing where you get all these answers and all this stuff, which that's not really what the show is, right? But that's just like what your my brain is trained to think of. I think that was the first episode where it clicked to me like what the show was, which was like, you know, everything you're saying. It's just like, it's like this weird... Um, Uh, Kafka-esque Sisyphusian task of a man just trying to escape from something and then just being like thrown against like folly after folly and you almost get like you almost it's almost hypnotic the the um, the futility of escape is like hypnotic and that I think that was the episode where it clicked for me of like oh that's what this is this isn't a thing where we're trying to find an answer to something.
0: This pessimism and bleak sense of humor runs through the whole show, perhaps best exemplified in the episode Free For All, which serves as an indictment of the performative nature of democracy that so many First World countries engage in, how the systems and levers of power require an opposition. And when there isn't one, the ruling class creates one. The more fiery the opposition, the more they can press their thumb down on the masses. In one scene, number six is shouting through a bullhorn at a throng of people about how they need to rise up and attempt to take control away from number two. And there, standing next to him, is number two, whispering words of encouragement. Uh, I think Free For All maybe is my favorite episode, and I love the political allegory in it, and I also love just that chant. Six for two, six for two, six for two. And I love the little parades that they do around the center square in Port Marion uh, where they're all, they've all they all got those little like, you know, uh, six for two banners and like, uh, you know, uh, sandwich boards and stuff. It's so fun to see everybody out wearing those rainbow capes and chanting and, you know, being controlled and the fact that he ultimately wins and becomes the new number two and can't dismantle the system because number two is a mechanism of control, not an actual person who's in control, is so fucking brilliant. I love this show. I love it so much because every episode, I know, I look, you're laughing at me, but I. it's just, it's so awesome. I, it just, it makes me infinitely excited that somebody was able to trick the system into making this thing um i don't know is that what you're laughing at or are you just laughing at that i just keep saying i love this fucking show
1: but also i mean you're excited for this the series finale of young sheldon
0: though right oh man dude I'm i'm excited for the post-sequel old man sheldon <laughs> they jump forward to old man sheldon
1: <laughs> that's almost the opposite of this where it's like how did somebody trick the system into making young Sheldon a show that I thought was gonna get canceled after three episodes because it's such a stupid idea. and then it went for seven seasons
0: they just made they're printing money out there, man, printing money um, yeah, for the record, for the record. uh when I was in England, whatever it was a couple months ago, uh I went I was like, what do I what do I want to do while I'm here? I want to go to not England. <laughs> So I booked some train tickets, and I went for a six-hour train ride to Port Marion, Wales, and I, I stayed in Port Marion, where they shot the prisoner for two and a half days. Uh, you can live in the apartments in the village. Uh, you can stay there. They have both a hotel, or you can just stay in the like little villas where everybody lives in the show. Um, and it was the craziest experience of my fucking life. It felt like going to Star Wars. It felt like being on the bridge of the Enterprise. It was the craziest fucking thing. Cause it's, you like, there's nothing out there. There's nothing out there. So you walk in and you know, you're kind of like walking up this little path or whatever. And there's some fucking sheep. Dude, there's so many fucking sheep in whales. Like so many fucking sheep. So we're walking by these whales. These, <laughs> we're not walking by whales. We're walking by sheep. And you, they, there's this building called The Castle, which I think is sort of an old castle, but I think it just looks like a castle. It's not really a castle. Or maybe it is. I don't know. Um, and you check in. And the castle in the show is the hospital. So whenever they take uh, somebody to the hospital or they the episode where they brainwash him, um, that exterior is where the main hotel and dinner place is. And you can stay there if you want. But I didn't want to stay there. I wanted to stay in the village. Um, so we check in and they're like, okay, you want to, you want a little cart ride? We'll give you a cart ride down to the village. And we're like, nah, nah, it's okay. It's okay. So we walk down and it's, you know, like a 15 minute little walk along this winding path. There's all these trees, birds are chirping. It's nice. And you get to the front of the building or you get to the front of the village and it's these two guard towers. And on one of them is there's like a little like, you know, those stick things that are at guard towers that keep cars from going in and out. There's that thing. And then there's a big sign that says Port Marion, Wales, be seeing you. And I like almost started crying. I was like, I cannot fucking believe that we are about to walk into the goddamn village. This is so fucking crazy. So we walk, we walk up this path and there's this big archway and you walk through the archway and then on the left hand side, there's a bronze life size bust of Patrick McGowan in an alcove. And I I almost died. I was like, this is the craziest fucking thing I've ever seen. And I made Nicole take, like, every time we walked by that thing, I made her take a photo of me. I think I have, like, 25 photos of me clowning around with that fucking bust. I got one where I'm smooshing him on the cheek. I got one where I've got my arm around him like a sitcom. I've got the first one of me, I'm, like, we had just come off the train and just walked for whatever. So it's, like, you know, broad daylight. So I'm, like, wearing sunglasses and smiling this, like giant shit-eating grin because i just can't even believe we're here you walk down a little bit further and then it's the village it's the semi-horseshoe shape with the fucking chess board in the middle the chessboard is still there you look to the right and it's the you know the city hall you know where the it's that big domed shape uh where number two's office is in the show you go up there i mean I, you you can look in It's there's just these giant windows and it's there's nothing in there it's like a room um with a bunch of paintings there's somebody selling like paintings or whatever they've turned his old the exterior of his old uh apartment into a gift store so you can go in there and they have a bunch of dumb shit you can buy which i fucking did because i'm a rube and i'm a mark and i traveled all the way here you best believe i bought myself a goddamn villager cape you best believe it spandrew i fucking bought that villager cape went around took a bunch of dumbass photos with me being a goober wearing a fucking prisoner cape in front of Port Marion, you best fucking believe it.
1: That's funny because I didn't believe it because that, that's actually what I was going to say is that when you told me you stayed where they sh- where they shot the prisoner and you got a cape, I thought you were joking because in my mind, I was like, the the prisoner is not a big enough pop cultural force that they would have an actual tourist attraction around it. Like, I feel like that would not generate a significant amount of revenue, right? So in my mind, I was thinking about that like in that episode of The Simpsons whenever they go to Planet Hollywood and they have all the memorabilia and stuff on the walls and then Homer's like, it's the actual cane from Citizen Kane. And then Lisa's like, wait a minute. There wasn't a cane in Citizen Kane. In my mind, that w- you were it was just a joke. And you were just saying, like, I bought a cape from the prisoner at the place where they shot the prisoner. I thought you were joking.
0: And then you sent me a picture. And I was like, they actually sell the capes? You would think they would sell the jacket. Like, the prisoner jacket. You think they would sell that. No. They sell the fucking capes, dude. It's, and look at this. Look at that. Yeah. Got this shit in Port Marion. I'm holding up a mug that has the penny farthing and the number six on it. Got that shit in Port Marion. Fucking just out here being a tourist, and I don't give a fuck. It was so surreal when we first walked into our apartment. I looked out the window, and I'm looking out, and we stayed on the right side of Port Marion. It's very small. Basically, the history of the town is that it was a rich architect, this dude named like Clof Hervin. I don't remember his name. It was, clow clow something i don't remember his name but he was obsessed with venetian design and he thought that wales didn't have enough italianate architecture so he spent the last like 30 years of his life just building a town and like designing it to look like the venetian style like venice so you're just in the fucking middle of nowhere, Wales, and then you're in a small town village that looks like Italy. It's really fucking weird. Um, so we're in the we're in our little apartment, you know, and I'm like looking out over the I'm like look, look I like go to the window and I'm looking out of the window, and the you know how there's the like uh that that boat and the little like harbor thing in the show where they're always sitting and like playing chess out there, so you can kind of like. It, the, the town is like a little horseshoe with that at the mouth of the horseshoe, and then there's like this inlet where water comes in and out, uh, you know, as the tide rises and falls. So I'm like looking out over the little inlet with the tide and everything, and you can see, you know, the the alleyway or the, the trough or whatever where people come in. And there's – you know, we were there. We got there on a Saturday. It was Sunday. We got there on a S- Sunday. We got there on a Sunday. Um, and so, you know, there's all these – people doing touristy stuff that are not prisoner people they're just there to do touristy shit because it's like a kind of destination place so i'm looking out and i'm just like marveling at that i am looking at the village from the prisoner like i cannot believe where we are and then Down the little, you know, the little trail that leads up to where the bronze Magoon statue is. Somebody's walking down wearing a fucking prisoner cape. And I almost died. I was like, this is the greatest fucking thing. This is the greatest thing I've ever experienced. It was so cool. It was so cool. And then, you know, I was just gonna say, you know, you know, then... Of course, you the next thing you're thinking about is how the fuck do I get down on that beach? You know, how do I run on the beach like how Magoen ran away from the from Rover? Turns out you can't actually I mean you can, but it's really difficult to get down there from that little inlet. You have to walk through the back of the village over this hill, which has been planted with like Amazon jungle style plants that are not indigenous to whales, over into this little alcove where there's these uh, like caves that they also used in the show in the episode with the body double, the schizoid man, that's where they like hide a bunch of stuff in there and they shot stuff there. But when the tide goes out, you can walk over the back of that hill and then just hang out on the, the beach area, which is again, super fucking surreal, because it's like you're walking on the bottom of the ocean. There's like sea anemone bullshit. I don't know what weird little creatures that are like, oh, God, I didn't make it out to sea. And there's seashells everywhere. And there was like fog when we were there. So it was like it felt like you were on another fucking planet. It was really fucking trippy.
1: You know, it's so funny. <laughs> Every, everything you just said and the way you were describing that of going out there, we the thing that my wife gets so annoyed and angry about constantly is we like when we go on trips, like she'll go and she'll take us to like places, things like that of places that I, that are something that I really love or really want to see or whatever. Like when we were in Europe, uh, we went to Abbey road studios and we uh, recently, when we were in San Francisco, we went to Lucasfilm and like when we were in Oregon, we went to the, the the, the mystery spot, area there that was the direct inspiration for the mystery shack in gravity falls. And when you go out there, they have like a, like a statue of, of, um, of bill cipher out there. And she, she takes us to all these places and, and every time we go anywhere, I just go and I'm just, I just look around and I go, Oh, cool. (laughs) And she, she, that's like constantly what she's so angry about is that no matter what my reaction is just like, Oh,
0: this is cool you're dead inside uh might as well just admit it at this point
1: it's it's just it's just so funny it's like it's like the
0: exact opposite yeah it literally is the exact opposite yes the genius of the prisoner is that the show is meant to be an indictment of the modern world McGuin felt that progress, i.e. technological progress, industrial expansion, and the increasing armament of global powers would ultimately destroy us all, and he wanted no part of it. This is represented metaphorically in multiple places in the show. The penny-farthing bicycle, The fact that everyone has a number for a name. The fact that everyone is expected to wear a uniform of sorts. The average villager all wear rainbow colored capes and carry umbrellas. The higher profile prisoners like number six and both number 12s are all seen wearing suit jackets with colored lapels. The show and the village is a metaphor for how society has indoctrinated and brainwashed us into giving up our freedoms for supposed safety and security. The village is a real place where both number six and the countless other former intelligence operatives are being held captive. And it is also a metaphorical state of mind. The village is a system that keeps everyone in line, everyone working, everyone docile. And to resign from that system is the ultimate insult, which is why the key line of questioning throughout the show is, why did you resign?
1: Man, Pat Patrick McGowan would have some disappointing things to say about the pandemic. I'll just say that much.
0: Yeah, I think you're totally you right. You'd have some
1: childhood-ruining... Remarks,
0: yeah, I think a hundred percent the the phrase. Uh, dirty scientists in Wuhan would have come out of his mouth 100%. For McGowan, financial reward, critical acclaim, and an expectation of what an individual should do all seemed to manifest in a prison. Large movie roles, massive paychecks, and excess beyond imagination seemed to be at his feet throughout the 1960s, and he said no. He did not want to partake in that life. He wanted freedom, something that was in short supply. Obviously, this is a deeply emotionally resonant idea for McGowan, the man, and McGowan, the actor. The idea for the show meta and on a personal level is him being trapped in the hamster wheel that he feels he cannot escape. To him, the idea of doing more Danger Man was a prison, which is why the prisoner is John Drake. It's never said in the actual show, but he is. Yeah, so this goes back to uh, what I was saying earlier about the opening of Danger Man with John Drake walking out of the government building, getting in a car and driving away. The opening of the prisoner is him in a car speeding towards the camera. Driving into Greater London, storming into an office, and quitting, which is just one of many parallels between the two shows. Um, and some fan theories, and even theories by people who worked on the show other than Magoon, uh, we'll get into later. But I feel like, as weird as it is to say, that opening dyad of him clocking out for the day, getting in a car and driving away and him being pissed off, driving into London and resigning. I don't think that's by accident. I think that's a pretty, pretty tangible link between the two pieces of media. Here's where McGowan's genius truly manifests itself though. He knew that the root emotion that he was feeling about being trapped playing the never changing spy archetype was something that everyone could relate to if the idea was evolved and blown out to its maximalist degree, sure. Most people can't relate to the golden handcuffs of being a regular on a TV show and being the highest paid performer in England in the 1960s. But everyone can relate to not having their freedom and having the capitalist machine pressing you so hard against the wall that you literally can't resign because your whole life will fall apart. So there's only one option left. You have to resign yourself to accepting the newfound status quo. Maguan knew that everyone could emotionally understand how we're all being manipulated, abused, and herded around through systemic levers of power, most of which are well beyond our workaday lives. That's what he wanted to make a show about, a show about how the human condition requires certain necessities and that man's evolution from roaming bands of cavemen to agrarian villagers to a full-blown society only preserves one purpose, to assist those in positions of power. It's not an accident that the term the village is used to describe the prison that number six is housed in. To McGuin, this is where humanity went wrong and veered away from valuing individuals and started collating us and treating us like society chattel. And maybe he's right. I don't know how we survive without the interdependence on one another and larger industries, considering there are seven billion people on the planet, but he's not wrong about the fact that existing in a world where your importance is reduced down to a one or a zero on a spreadsheet can be existentially horrifying. But here's where the prisoner supersedes the traditional boundaries of a cult TV show and propels itself into something more of a modern myth, an experimental post-narrative data-esque masterpiece. The ending. Have you seen the ending recently? Did you make it when you did your big rewatch? Did you make it to the ending, or did you stop after X number of episodes?
1: Yeah, I don't think I watched the last couple of episodes. I don't think I, I don't think I made it that, to the end. Do
0: you remember them well enough? <laughs> or or do you are you kind of going off of your previous watch dim recollection? Just
1: my just my dim recollection, which is honestly not great. Like when I when I was re-watching it, it was kind of like I was watching it for the first time. I was like, I I
0: don't remember anything about this. It's fucking trippy. Like I love it, but I I can imagine 1967 me being real pissed. being like i was so invested in this and this is what you do but i i fucking love it now 2023 me thinks it's the the best thing that you could do there's no other way to end it in my opinion i love it so much this is lieutenant colombo just dropping in to say that the following passage contains spoilers for the prisoner i can't give you specific time codes of what parts to skip if you don't want to find out what happens at the end of the show, because the podcast ads are dynamically inserted when you download the episode, making the length of the episode vary from person to person, but proceed with caution. Initially, Magoon wanted the show to only be seven episodes long, but when Lou Grade informed him that he needed a minimum of 26 episodes to sell to America, Magoon held up in his apartment for the weekend with some of the writers from Danger Man and generated 10 additional outlines, bringing the total number of episodes produced to 17. But it would be the final script that McGowan would write himself that would define the limits of the canvas. The entire show, number six, and the virtual never-ending onslaught of number twos are all going toe to toe in a battle of wits. But the true villain of the piece was an unseen enemy. Number one, the man above it all, the Machiavellian villain pulling the strings the whole time, or so we think. In the final episode, Fallout, we see a climactic scene where number six finally confronts number one, only to reveal his face under the cowl and mask. At the time, this was the equivalent of a lost ending. Everyone hated it. In fact, McGowan has said in multiple interviews that he went and hid out in a cabin in the woods for a few weeks after it aired because walking around England was physically dangerous for him. However, the clarity of hindsight is a beautiful thing. Most Prisoner fans agree now that the ending is the best part because it seals the show as a piece of metaphor, not in a literal grounded reality. The surreality that the show dips into for the duration of its running time is now fully paid off. Every man is a prisoner unto themselves, remember? The ending shows us that we all make our own prisons. We all are in charge when and how we resign. The ending of the show propels it into a category that few television programs have even strived for, let alone succeeded in reaching. McGowan's obsession of self-determination is a fable for the ages, one rooted in a keenly human eye and a fiery mind. And it came at great personal cost to the man. After the ending of The Prisoner, McGowan never headlined another show in England. He would move to Los Angeles, where he would work as a character actor and director on many film and TV projects but never as the star he once was. He risked his entire career to make a definitive statement, and the world just wasn't ready to hear it.
1: And he was on a couple episodes of Columbo
0: and Murder, She Wrote. If this metaphorical ending isn't good enough for you, though, this sequence from Fallout also paves the way to providing a far more literal explanation of what the village is and why the prisoner is there and why he'll probably always be there. In James Follett's book about the prisoner screenwriter and script editor, George Markstein, another theory is put forward, one which has been largely adopted by the prisoner fandom. Markstein posits that a young John Drake once submitted a proposal for a way to keep former spies quiet, a hospitable way to let these intelligence community members live out their golden years, a village. See where this is going? However, the plans never materialized and Drake assumed that the idea was dead in the water, but, After one day discovering that his proposition had not only been approved, but completely actualized in a deeply cruel and inhuman way, he immediately resigned. He did so in the hopes of having himself sent to the village in order to gather intelligence that he could later use to bring it down however upon arriving there he struggled to be able to tell which side had actually built the village which government was responsible for this tragedy was it his own or a foreign entity the longer he stayed the more labyrinthian the answers became due to the fact that number six was caught in a hall of mirrors everyone could potentially be the enemy. In Markstein's interpretation, the prisoner would leave the village, but that would by no means dictate his freedom. He would always be a prisoner to his own circumstances, to his situation, and to his past. While McGowan always insisted that his intention with the ending was to construct a metaphor, he always agreed that number six was not a free man and never would be. Either of these interpretations of the ending are valid. However, The fact that Magoon constructed something that has such a refractory element to the story says more about him than anything else. The idea that we'll always be prisoners is underscored beautifully in the final scene of Fallout. After Number 6 and the butler, played by Angela Muscat, flee to the safety of England and make it back to Number 6's old house, it seems like our eponymous hero is going to be given a quintessential happy ending. He's going to be allowed to drive off into the sunset with his S2 Lotus 7. However, just as he drives off, the butler steps towards the apartment door, it ominously swings open, the butler steps towards the apartment door, and it ominously swings open, just like every other door in the village does. Even if you're able to escape the village, you aren't because we all are the village that ending is so fucking awesome I I get I get so excited every time they're like running across it's so weird too because the ending of the show is is Angela Muscat and Patrick McGowan running through the streets of England holding hands it's so fucking weird like after after number six like finally you know unmasks number one and he pulls off the face and it's a uh, he pulls off the mask and it's a it's a gorilla mask and then he pulls off the gorilla mask and it's his face and then he starts laughing like a gorilla and then they chase each other around the you know the that big command center and then he runs out and he fights the guys and Angelo Muscat helps him escape and they they you know they flee to freedom and they finally get back to England and they're running through the streets of England holding hands and they make it to you know number one buckingham way which i've also been to when i was staying there i went to number one buckingham way and it was really weird because it's exactly like it looks in the show but there's like a real estate office or something inside so i'm like standing on the front steps getting my picture taken with the door you know from the prisoner there's like oh man that that that
1: that new ad campaign is really working
0: Yeah, yeah, I just look in the... I, like, standing there and I, like, look in the window and there's just, like, this woman on a computer, like, in an office, just, like, typing, like, looking at me, like, what is going on there? This is so weird. Um, This guy loves real estate. This guy just loves fucking SEO optimization. Um, Yeah, but, he, he, you know, him driving off and then it being the first two shots of the opening sequence again, thus, you know, saying that it's all going to start over again. It's a system that'll continually repeat is so fucking awesome and i kind of wish they would just remake the prisoner today but do it shot for shot the exact same way because it it's a show that literally you could remake the same episodes over and over again and that would be the point of the original show like it wouldn't violate the core tenants creatively um i don't actually want that i'm not actually pitching that please don't remake the fucking prisoner um but yeah i fucking love it (laughs) (laughs) fuck you (laughs) um all right well then on that note Spandrew spice do you have any closing thoughts about the prisoner patrick McGuinn's philosophy or uh the fact that we probably would both be disappointed by his political views in
1: 2023 yeah i mean that's that that definitely would happen especially because for some reason british people british british uh Actors and comedians seem to just come out of the woodwork with the worst takes. Like it's, 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 it's ugly out there. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I, admittedly not as big of a fan of, 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 the prisoners you obviously are, but I would highly recommend that you check out the show. It's on Tubi for free. Um, as I said before, it is a singular work of idiosyncrasy that you'll just, nothing is like this and kind of similar to, we, we, you know, we did the episode about, um, um, I'm blanking on the name of the movie, the Tarkovsky movie, Stalker, Stalker. It's, it kind of defies explanation in a way. Like, you know, we did an episode and the intention is to talk about this really cool thing that we like and kind of encourage people to watch it. Um, and similar to Stalker, it's kind of hard to explain exactly the, the je ne sais quoi about this that really like once you watch it it like makes sense and you're it's like you just love it for reasons that can't really def- be defined in the way that you can define like, a, like other good movies and TV shows that you like like oh like you know Buffy the Vampire Slayer is a great show because I love the way that it like deconstructs the tropes of horror like you can't really describe it in that way you know um, but I would highly recommend checking it out um, whether or not his sort of like ludic, um, tendencies and his commentary on like fear of technology were right headed or wrong headed. Uh, you know, I, I think, I think, uh, even just a year ago, I would have been like, yeah, fuck this shit. This is stupid. Now. I don't know. I mean, with, with this AI stuff and the way that it sort of like existentially threatens, not only just the livelihoods of people, but also just like the concept of creative expression uh maybe maybe our boy Patrick McGowan was was right maybe he was right
0: and also I mean you know think about the time that he's saying these things in right like he's not thinking about what you're saying he's he's talking about when when he talks about technological progress he's specifically talking about mutually assured destruction um which is I don't know still a menace to the planet you know <laughs> and it feels like every three months we're getting back there you know um, But like I said I don't know that I agree with all of his and There's also the, a thing with his philosophy That's like weirdly primally Innocent like he obviously Is someone who's tortured by a lack of Freedom but he has no Broader motivation For doing the things that he wants Like in interviews that you see he when he talks about his desire for freedom he really is like I'm so curious what his relationship with his daughter was like because he it sounds like he's just saying I don't want responsibilities you know and he also doesn't seem like someone who derives joy from work you know like his whole persona is that he's beset upon he's angered and he's fueled by that anger and that's why he's such a compelling person to watch But also, that seems like a miserable fucking existence. Um, Yeah, I I don't know. But I find him endlessly compelling. I think he would find me very annoying. Understandable. (laughs) You know what? Just for that, I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Spandrew Spice. This has been Deep Cuts. If you'd like to find me online, you can do so at heydavebaker.com or xdavebakerx on all the socials. Uh, You can find my books Halloween Boy. Everyone is Tulip, Forest Hills, Bootleg Society. And uh, a bunch of other stuff at heydavebaker.com. Please go pre-order my book, Mary Tyler Moorhawk. It's available now wherever you get your books. Spandrew, where can people find you on the internet?
1: You can find me storming into my l- nearest local target with my smartphone out recording as I talk about the indoctrination of our children and the way that they're being manipulated and changed to believe in new age ideologies that are that go against conservative values of tradition and family and then uh pick up a copy of of mary tyler moorhawk and do a weird tiktok dance with it and uh, you can't find me on social media because i don't use social media but if you want to pay your respect to the dear beloved papa pricey you can go to his website dapriceRights dot com and get his book deadbolt ai private eye you can follow us on social media at deep cuts pod on instagram go to deep cuts podcast on facebook Join the Deep Cuts podcast Facebook group where we talk about the show and make memes. Join the Deep Cuts Discord, bit.ly.com slash Deep Cuts Discord, where we talk about the show, make memes, play games, so on and so forth. Maybe you can get your name shouted out on the show sometime in the future. Uh, You can go to our website, deepcutspod.com and click on the shop and you can get hats and T-shirts and all that good stuff shoulder patches so on and so forth and uh you can you can uh just smooch it up in 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 patrick mcguin's honor smooch it up tonight